church that we can get so busy until the presence of God is taking place, being realized by other people, experienced by others, and we're missing. Um, sometimes we get in a hurry. Sometimes we've got our agenda. Things get so hectic, a little bit like that earlier this afternoon. And so I'm thankful that we can be aware of the fact that um, God's presence in the room makes a great deal of difference, makes all the difference in the world. So praise the Lord. Thank you for that, Brother Gary. Um, this is the beginning of a new year. kind of feels like it's been four or five days into the new year, and it's just been two already. I don't know if this is going to be an indicator of uh, how fast it's or slow it's going to go by, but I was telling some folks that now that we <coughs> live here, um, the kids don't get a chance to go away to Nani and Poppy's, so they came over on uh, New Year's Eve, some of them came over New Year's Eve and spent the night, and, <coughs> and then last night they also stayed and added more to it. Kids would have been okay, but they had parents. And I don't know if they felt like they had been on a trip or not, but I'm as tired as if I had been on one. <laughs> but maybe tonight, uh, Beverly and I will recover, and uh, we'll, we'll realize that, wow, this is a new year, and, and be thankful for all of our blessings. We are thankful to be uh, here in Ohio and here in this church, and yay, Sister Judy, way to plug the choir in this church, and it just made me proud. I'm excited to be a part of this. It's just a, a wonderful thing. And uh, I, I feel like I've been teaching uh, on this um, subject for, well, since 2018. And uh, we're still on it. We're still on this uh, subject. But we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, when you talk about the cluster of the fruit, there's just one DNA in all of it. Um, there aren't several different trees, strands of, but all of the fruit uh, go together out of one DNA. And we know that that DNA is God. He's the creator of all things. He's breathed life into man, but he created everything with a, a certain uh, uniqueness. I can't even imagine all of the uh, the different uh, the different species of the various uh, um, divisions of uh, all of his creation. It's just um, unimaginable to me. Uh, but God said that Adam named all of the the animals. He gave him that responsibility, and and I think about how. You know, the, the secular humanists are teaching uh, our world, our culture, uh, that um, we, um, you know, from some big bang, I guess, maybe that was the compromise, but uh, the uh, evolutionists are saying that, you know, we evolved from some amoeba or something. And um, so as I, I hear all of these theories, it's kind of mind-boggling. But understand that the other day, uh, the researchers that had been studying uh, have determined that all human life 
seems to have come from the union of one male and one female. And I kind of feel like that the more people study and learn, the more they're going to find out that uh, God's word is true. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so when you see the design of all of these things, it's not hard to imagine that God also set up the spiritual uh, structure in such a way as to, um, uh, to equate to that or to relate to that. And uh, so I think in, with regards to the fruit of the Spirit, we can come to understand that it's, it's out of that one single uh, DNA and, and everything flows out of that DNA. And Jesus said, I'm the vine and ye are the branches. So it's the kind of flow that comes from God. It's the kind of flow that comes in and through us. Christ in us, the Bible says, the hope of glory. Praise the Lord. And so as we begin to experience these things, we can see that um, the nine fruit of the Spirit uh, that's listed in the Bible, in Galatians, they are not nine different groups in the church. Let's see, we've got love sits over here, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith, and, you know, back, back on the cross. It's not those who have been chosen or that choose, you know, well, I'm just a joyful person, I'm a joyful person, I'm a joyful And a joyful person who doesn't have love or doesn't have faith is still not a balance in the flow of the vine that we need to have. So the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be in all of the disciples uh, of Christ. It's the work of the Spirit in us, and that's why they call it the fruit of the Spirit. The first um, listed is love, and I'm not a bit surprised at that because the Bible says God is love. So if all of these things are flowing out of him, they're flowing out of God, and God is love. So the DNA of the fruit of the Spirit is God, and that essence is love. Now the world has a, has certainly has a different definition than the Bible does for love. I'm kind of sad to see how they've sold love, love short in the world today. Because love can be defined in any kind of infatuation or any lust uh, that might um, be uh, in the moment. And, and I'm kind of wondering if maybe the church hadn't fallen into the trap of defining for our children what Love is in a different than a biblical way. In fact, we kind of refer to people who are attractive as, oh, they're hot. Why would you tell a three-year-old or a five-year-old, you look so hot in that? Hello, we need to rearrange the words so that we reflect the things that the Bible is saying with regards to the fruit of the Spirit. We can get so lax and inaccurate in our communication with one another until the fruit of the Spirit isn't really flowing like it should in all of our relationships. It's just so easy to fall into the world's definition of the various things. And so I want to start tonight with this fruit of the Spirit. But in keeping with our previous um, preparation uh, and groundwork for it, I want you to be looking for fake fruit. There's real fruit and there's fake fruit. So I want you to be looking for the real fruit and the fake, uh, the fake fruit as we talk about uh, some of these things. Now, I meant to mention tonight, I have it right in front of me, and I got started talking. Game night is this Tuesday, and uh, the 
Heritage Ministry sponsoring, I mean this Friday, uh, wow, going to have two Tuesdays this week. I don't really know what day it is. Uh, Sister Carolyn was talking about how, you know, we've been off so long and, and doing this and that and, and holidays and all. And she said, I can't keep up with what day it is. It's the 4th, which would be two days from now on Friday night, 6 o'clock. And you can bring anything you want to eat or you can bring nothing and mooch off of other people. <laughs> or if you don't want to eat anything, you can bring nothing. But we're just going to come in, play games, and eat, and graze, and, and whatever. And it's a great time to learn people's names. It's through this that I've probably learned the most names of the church folks. And if you don't think I have a learning curve, 1,300 people to, uh, to learn the names of and the faces of. And sometimes I know the faces, and I'm not sure about the names. So I say, hey, brother. God bless you. Great to see you, sister. So, uh, But this will help us to to uh, learn names better. So, okay, that was page one. I'll put that aside, and we'll go back to um, what I was talking about <laughs> talking about earlier. But it's that um, fake fruit and real fruit, talking about the love and how it's demonstrated in our lives as believers. In fact, John 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one towards another, one to another. And, and I love that phrase, uh, another, one another. You ought to read those in the New Testament. It's a great expression of that koinonia, that fellowship, or that um, connectivity that we can have, which is uh, part of the, uh, our mission and the reason why we exist. So I want us to think about that, certainly, but in a different context here. It says that the love we demonstrate towards one another is going to be seen by all. It didn't say here, by this shall everybody in church know that you are my disciples if you have love for people in the church. I mean, it'd be great if it said that because I can really love people in church. I get paid to love people in church. What's difficult is to love people across the street or down the street, down the street or up the street. And uh, sometimes it's even more difficult to love people that we live with or that we um, have entered into some kind of relationship with. But the Bible says that how we love each other is going to be the indicator of whether people identify us with Christ or not. I, I really hate to just hit that and skid on by it, but um, that is so basic to who we are and what we do uh, until you can't just uh, hit that and say, well, well, you know, if you smile, then you love each other. No, because there are a lot of people. <laughs> one of my grandchildren told me the other day, they said, Poppy, you just rolled your eyes. I, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. But you know what? There's a micro expression that we do sometimes before we put on the one people or we're, uh, we want people to see. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? You know, it's that expression right before we erase, clear the screen, you know. And a lot of times people identify how we really feel about them by that micro expression that takes place before the plastered one comes on us. So we can love with our um, faces, with our smiles. We can love with our voices. We can, But, you know, all people, whether church people or neighbors or sinners, 
are going to identify Christians by this more than anything else. Because there are people who can be uh, jolly or happy. They got uppers, you know, now, and if you go too high, you can have downers, you know, you can. There are a lot of different things you can do to be happy and joyful, but those things are surface things. So people might see joy or some demonstration of laughter, which is medicine in itself. I, I don't want to stop here but uh, too long, but you know laughter is therapeutic. They are using and have used it um, in uh, treatment with terminally ill people, is that they get in a group and they laugh. Not only do they bring in clowns and, and uh, animals and have comedians and those kinds of things, but they have sessions on laughing. They just laugh. And it releases endorphins or some kind of animal like that in us, and we start feeling better. And, um, and, and that kind of thing might even be able to be um, mimicked or um, whatever, but there is a, a deeper um, DNA below joy, more foundational, and that is love. It's the kind of thing that, that uh, sets us on a good setting. Now, um, you know that God is love and, and the Trinity. I, I started to bring my, um, I have a, a seat, a three-legged seat. You guys have seen those before where you open them up and it's got a little saddle um, on, the, on the top of that and, and they're tied in the middle with a bolt. You spread that out, it's got three points on the bottom. That's a lot more secure than walking on a pogo stick or you know, uh, one thing or stilts, two things. So three things are a lot steadier. And that's kind of how love and, and uh, the Trinity are in our lives. It, it's more secure from that foundation of love. God is love. And so we operate from that, um, that standpoint of a loving relationship. That's how people know that we are Christians. And, and we should develop that because it is so foundational and so fundamental to our lives until as we develop that, we'll see that the other things are easier. Now, um, I, I saw on a lady's um, wall a, a poster, or I think it was probably needlework, and it described all the fruit of the Spirit um, in relationship to love. This, this is what it said on her poster. Peace is love's security. Long-suffering is love's patience. Gentleness is love's conduct. Goodness is love's character. Faith is love's confidence. Meekness is love's humility. Temperance is love's victory. Against such there is no law. That's what the scriptures say. And so as we look to these things in, um, in our lives, we should be consciously thinking about developing love and loving relationships. What, what would it take... Uh, I, I w uh, went to a video um, conference one time for marriages, and uh, he asked a different, not that we needed any help with our marriage, because, you know, Beryl and I have never had a fight. I did go to a conference on lying, too, and I got more out of the other conference than I did the one on lying. But it said, uh, to rate your relationship 1 to 10. I, I found this is pretty pretty good in in all relationships, for that matter. But, um, you know, and, and most of the time, you know, people 
socially, they would never say it's a five, you know, and, and something in them will not let them say a ten, you know, but generally most people are going to land about at eight. So whatever you judge uh, your relationship to be or your loving experience as a relationship, um, then the second question is, what would it do, what do you need to do to bring that to an, a 10 in the relationship? So let me ask it this way. If the love of God demonstrated in the fruit of the spirit of your life is not at a 10, and since I've already mentioned, and I'm sure you accept what I say is true, that love is foundational to all the other fruit of the Spirit, then what would it take to change a loving relationship that's at a 7 or a 6 or a 5 or a 4 or even an 8 or a 9 to make it a 10 loving relationship with God and everybody else? Oh, did I say everybody else? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one towards another so there is a responsibility that we all that we have to love all people you know God is so brazen in the Bible to say love your enemy now I can't say I love every verse of the Bible I love a lot of verses of the Bible but I can't say I love every verse of the Bible but I need every verse of the Bible love your enemies so what do you do to develop that kind of care um, for people who treat you unkindly? The Bible says pray for them who abuse you and persecute you. Uh, love your enemies. So how do you demonstrate that love towards them? I've, I've found that, a, that you can uh, increase your care for other people by recognizing or seeing them as a person in need. If they act like an old battle axe, chances are they've got a problem. You could call them an old battle axe, or you could say, Lord, heal that old battle axe. Whatever's going wrong in them, maybe they've got some problems in their lives. Maybe they found out they have, uh, they've gotten some bad news or, uh, or whatever it is. If you could see yourself in a different position, then you're in a better position to love that person who has set themselves against you as an enemy. Now, women, I think, are probably more... Uh, gifted in the area of love giving or finding that uh, aspect of their lives and uh, some say I'm in touch with my feminine side but they tell me the, the way you get a woman to love football is to tell her the back story oh did you see that quarterback he and his wife or he just got married last week oh really yeah and then you start talking about that quarterback's wife and where they live and uh, so on. Or did you know that uh, that uh, running back, um, his wife just had a baby. Oh, really? Boy or girl? And here they are interested in football before they know it. They can tell you some stats. But I don't know. That's a theory. Hasn't worked for us yet, but we're still, you know, trying to use those things. But I think once you see the enemy in a different light, he's a person with feelings. He's a person with troubles. He's a person with situations and circumstances. And so if you see that person as, as a, uh, a person in struggle, then he doesn't have to be the enemy. And, of course, you can go back to that really powerful thing that says the way you obliterate the enemy is by making him your friend. Making him your friend. 
And some people, um, whether they plan to do it or not, um, they, they start out trying to get, build relationships with people that um, they might see as um, significant or helpful as they um, pursue their, their path and as they go along their journey. So that's the aspect of our committing ourselves to developing our love one towards another. It's fundamental. It's foundational. It's what God is made of. It is who God is. And, and everybody's acquainted with 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. So I want to just read some of these uh, things about, um, about love. Now, we know that love, the world has an ideology, an idea about love, and God has some principles about it. So you can tell me whether or not I'm, I'm telling you the real stuff or if it's a fake. Love behaves itself unseemly. Love seeks its own. Love is easily provoked. Love thinks evil first. Uh, love rejoices in iniquity. Laughs at evil things being done. Love rejoices in falsehood. Love crumbles under pressure. Love gives a, th a second chance, though not a third. Love um, endures as long as it can. I believe those things are presented in a negative way in 1 Corinthians 13, and they need to be turned around. It's the exact opposite of that. In fact, um, I think it's important for us to recognize that... Um, that real love never fails. Uh, other things will fail, but real love never fails. And to show the foundational, fundamental relationship of love with other things, it says, Now abideth the 13th verse, faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity, which charity is simply love in action. And so as we consider what love is and how it affects our relationship with other people, Maybe the, the greatest thing we can do is just consider it. Just think about it. Am I acting in a loving way towards other people? Or am I responding, I mean reacting in a negative way? Um, the Bible talks about how sometimes people uh, notice the, the beam in the, I, I mean the, the uh, sawdust in the eye of others when they themselves have a beam in their own eye. I got a two by four worth of trouble in my life, but yet I'm trying to nitpick in the lives of somebody else. Okay, I hated to say it in real English, but I've got a lot of struggles in my own life. In fact, uh, there are some times in which we find ourselves criticizing others for the things we also ourselves are guilty of. I don't know if we don't have the courage to criticize ourselves or what, but I've seen time after time people will criticize other people, and if you stay long enough, you'll find other people criticizing them for the very same thing they criticize somebody else for. I know this is wonderful, and that's why y'all are smiling. I won't give you any other details in this, but the parsonage, the place where uh, pastors come, you know, and, and go, and sometimes um, all too frequently, and the two churches I pastored never got the benefit of that frequent departure. We were there 19 years and four months in Arizona and 25 and a half years at the next place. And so we just figured 
we could run everybody else off. No need in us moving every time people got mad. But in one of the states I was in, uh, we went over to help the uh, outgoing, uh, excuse me, the incoming people move in. And um, as we were helping them move in, oh, this is the dirtiest place. You know, it is so filthy. I can't believe that pastors would live in this kind of filth or bring his family in this kind of filth. You know, we just kind of said, you know, well, we'll clean it up. We're going to help you clean it up. It wasn't but a couple of years, and they were gone, and the next family coming in, we were still there, of course, and helping somebody else move in. They said, boy, this is the filthiest place. I've never seen a house more uh, dirty than this, and, uh, you know, I... uh, I guess it's kind of uh, what we're able to see of our own selves. Why is it we're so crystal clear in our vision of others and not so clear in our vision of ourselves? I think love is a thing that clarifies that. In fact, um, Brother Jeff, would you bring my uh, phone to me up here? I I meant to bring that up. In fact, what uh, we need to have a large measure of um, did, did everybody, when you came in tonight, did you check in on Facebook? So let me do that right quick. Stratford Heights. Let people know where I am. And, you know, some of them might still have time to get here for part of the service. Um, oh, my goodness, people that know I'm in church are texting me. I can't believe that they're doing that right now. And uh, you think I have no purpose in this, and I'm wondering about it myself, if I'm going to be able to bring anything from this. I think the lady's name was, um, uh, yeah, I I, I have it. Here's the post that she, uh, here's the post that I read this uh, this afternoon, and um, That's where it's supposed to be, right there. (laughs) So funny. Those things work. I thought I had this. Okay, now I'm going to have to go to my memory, and you all have to go to prayer. She said how, how much freedom is received when you don't have to worry about judging the motives of other people. What if we could really give people the benefit of the doubt? She said it's so frustrating to spend all of that mental energy on trying to ascribe to someone a motive that after a long period of strife you find out wasn't even theirs. Anybody ever responded or reacted quickly to something only to find out that your response is totally inappropriate? I think I shared this uh, probably months ago now, but I was um, teaching on a particular night, kind of like tonight, and I I got out the phone and was bragging about a new app that I had, and I said, you can hold your finger on a word, and uh, it'll the uh, Hebrew and the Greek will come up right there on it, and you see the definition and all of those things, and... Uh, so I was talking about that, and I got a text at the very time I was doing this, and it said, are you going to share 
or are you just going to continue to talk about that? So I'm incensed by somebody, you know, I just took a minute, you know, to share about how great this was, and here's somebody's wanting me to get into the Word of God and quit talking about this. And I mean, I had to struggle during my uh, teaching to overcome that. And at the end, he says, why didn't you share with us the app? I wanted to download it. And I'm saying, whoa. All of those feelings I was fighting, all of that misassigned uh, motive that, that I had, all of that misunderstanding, and I wonder how many times in regular relationships if we don't say something that gets misunderstood by others or somebody else says something to us that gets misunderstood. Now, I'm not saying that people never say anything wrong, and they do, and they should have one finger at a time chopped off until they learn their lesson. But maybe we shouldn't if we're going to judge ourselves by, by them as well. But think about what would happen, how freeing it would be if we didn't have to judge a person's motive. We just let things go for a while, and then we could see the fruit of it. Well, what's the fruit of it? If the fruit of it is love, then it's of the Spirit. If the fruit of it is lust, it's of the flesh. If the fruit of it is selfishness, it's a fake fruit. If its fruit is controlling, it's fake fruit. Are you hearing some of the fake, the fake fruit that's coming out? That's selfishness. The motivation that drives us to do things, is it for others? Is it for God? Because it is by this that everybody, all men will know that we are disciples if we have love one towards another. Are we quick to forgive or do we want to hold a grudge? I think probably so many things have happened in our lives that we haven't truly resolved until we don't remember who made the first uh, swing. We don't even remember who started it, so to speak, but, but we're fighting. I don't know if I told you or not, but Beverly's one of the Hatfields, so if we have any McCoys here, we're still fighting. Now, um, our self-love will get us into trouble. And the Bible says that Jesus humbled himself, took on the form of a, a servant, uh, and, and became uh, submissive even unto death. Uh, many of us are committed to subjectivity as opposed to objectivity. I think one of the greatest things a person can develop in their lives is an ability to see things as others, and hopefully God sees it. Subjectivity is seeing it from where we are, how I feel. But you know, there are a host of other people out there who are feeling also. How do they feel? And I think that's so critical. We spend a lot of our time justifying the things that we've done where love really doesn't have to justify it just does the deeds of righteousness and acts of kindness for the sake of Jesus Christ. Love acts in response of what has been done for us in Christ Jesus, not in response to what others have done to us. Do you hear me? That means on the highway, the person who is cutting you off might not really have a, a, an attempt to keep you uh, from getting to work on time. Might not be a conspiracy out there um, to get to the best parking place at the mall ahead of you. And of course, pro probably some of you know that Jamie's um, 
Jamie's theory is if you have a close-up parking, God wants you to go in and spin. Brian just left, so that's why I felt the liberty of saying that. Oh, she's here. I didn't know it. That's even worse. It's so, you, God wants you to buy something. Excuse me I'm for misquoting you. Uh, that wasn't very loving, was it? I'm so sorry. Um, and so, uh, the self-love radio station, I don't know if any of you have listened to this or not. Anybody, um, have you tuned in to WII-FM? What's in it for me? FM. You got it? WII-FM. What's in it? Okay, later on you can figure that out. It's a new year. The new year's young. When we are hypocritical or two-faced, that's fake love. When we love one person one way and another person a different way, that's fake love. The Bible says if you have respect of persons, you have fake love. Isn't that what he said? He says if somebody comes in flashing the big diamonds on their uh, hands, their rings on their fingers, and, you know, dressed up with uh, uh, the expensive suits, uh, he, he said uh, don't, don't give them the, the, the nicer places, the seating, but view people as who they are and not what they're wearing. Wouldn't that be nice if you were viewed as, as who you are and not what you're wearing? I'm, I'm not fixing to go down this road of uh, we, we ought to dress down so we test people uh, as to whether or not they really love us uh, or that preachers should, uh, you know, preach in, in uh, cutoffs and shorts and, you know, things like that. I, I don't think our, our uh, lives should be a distraction to the, to the, um, to the sermon either. And, and somehow, shiny white legs and knock knees and really ought not to take the place of the gospel being preached in the world. So there we have it. Jesus said that we're to deny ourselves and take up the cross to follow him. And in loving sometimes, that's where this verse is applied. You know, we think sometimes in denying ourselves we've got to fast, which I think we should, um, or we have to... Um, quit doing this or quit doing that, denying yourself, that, that's in there. It's principle to it. But denying yourself might also be found in, in the very um, foundation of loving. When you love one another, shouldn't you treat them better than you treat yourself? That's what the Bible says. You esteem others more highly than you esteem yourself. I mean, that's the greatest challenge I probably have. The Bible says nobody hates his own body. So we all have a large measure of subjectivity. But the key is to find that objectivity so we can see it as someone else sees it. And it's natural for us to do that. People that the same on the scene of an accident all see it not just, um, they don't see it diametrically opposed from each other necessarily, although that's happened before as well because people associate things, but they see different things. We may be seeing something different from somebody else, but our love should allow them to express what they feel and what they think. You know, the blind men who were trying to describe an elephant, their experience gave them the only picture they had. That is subjectivity, a rope. 
you know, a, a rough wall or trunk of a tree, um, wh whatever it, it might be that your experience is, is not all of life. Love allows other people to describe their experiences. You take their experiences as just as valid as your own. Now, I'm not saying that you take other people's truth. Because there is only one truth, right? But our view of the truth needs to be considered. And we need not make a conclusion until all of the evidence is in. The Word of God has that evidence. So then, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Him might be some self-denial when it comes to how we treat our neighbor. You know, maybe a few cookies instead of some frowns or, um, you know, whatever it takes to get to a person's heart. Shouldn't that be what we're struggling for, striving for? Now, some people will say, if you, if you deny yourself and take up your cross, other people are going to run over you and we, God doesn't want us to be a doormat. No, I don't think God wants us to be a doormat. We love others better than ourselves that doesn't mean you're a doormat because then you would just become callous. It wouldn't be love at all. So God's not asking us to become masochists or sadists for that matter. Um, but what it does is it causes us to recognize that other people have feelings and that we become more sensitive to the feelings of others. We depend uh, excuse me, instead of defending ourselves um, by trying to neutralize the aggressor, what we could do is try to understand and uh, reach out to them, touch them uh, where they are. Now, it takes a certain mindset to do that. And um, you know, maybe, maybe I'll close with that. I was thinking I didn't have time, but let's go to... First John, the second chapter, the fifth verse, first it'll, I think, show the point I was trying to make in a better way. Verse 5 of chapter 2, First John says, But whosoever keepeth the word of God, his word in him verily is the love of God protected. How are you better equipped to love people? By getting the word of God in your heart. The perspective of the Bible, the objectivity of the scripture, seeing it like God sees it. And then, hereby know we that we are in him. And of course, if we are in him, there are so many benefits that are going on for us in that regard. But 1 John, the fourth chapter, is even more powerful and poignant in its, uh, the point that it's making here. Proof of the point I'm trying to make. The seventh verse of the fourth chapter says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. No wonder that's how they tell whether or not we're disciples because if you have love, the Bible says, love one another for love is of God. That preposition is uh, out of God. Love is out of God. He's a source of it. Love is of God. And everyone that loveth, truly loveth, is born of God and knoweth him. And he that loveth not, oh, I hate it when the, the uh, contrast is, is given there. If you love not God, if you, excuse me, if you don't love, then you don't know God, for God is love. He that loveth not knoweth not God. 
for God is love. This is so powerful as it relates to our Christian experience and fundamental and foundation to the bearing of fruit, period. If we're going to represent Christ with our lives, love is the foundational thing. And it, that's why Satan tries his hardest to counterfeit it. That's why he tries his hardest to disturb it and destroy it and to bring us at odds with each other is because he knows how powerful love is. There is nothing more powerful than the love of God. The love of God is what brought Jesus from the heavens to the earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The 11th verse says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. How many times? Peter said, how many times do I forgive? Seven times seven? No, 70 times seven. Whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed that the love that God hath to us, towards us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God is dwelling in him. Herein is our love made perfect, complete, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, <laughs> so are we in the world. They're only going to see us. We are the Christ that they see. We are the epistles known and read of all men. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Now listen, if any man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he has seen? And this is a commandment, have we, this commandment have we from him, that he that loveth God, love his brother also. I don't know where the capability to do this would be, except in God, from God, and in God, and in his word. And that's what Philippians, um, the uh, second chapter, I believe is the, start at the third verse let nothing be done through strife or vainglory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves wow let's just let that soak here for a couple of seconds let each esteem other better than themselves that may be one of the more difficult things in the Bible to do, really. I mean, it goes goes past um, letting somebody get the last piece of chicken off the plate. It goes deeper than that, right? I mean, that's hard for me, but I know it's even harder to fulfill the fullness of this scripture. Esteem others better than themselves. I wonder if it wouldn't put me in check a little bit if I would consider my criticism of other people a slight to them 
Is that something I would want to be said to me? About me, excuse me. Because it should be said to me. If you see me overtaken in a fault, let such a one as a spiritual go to him in the spirit of meekness, considering himself, lest he also be tempted, and restore such a one. See, the whole point of it isn't to, uh, to say who's right or wrong. I hadn't planned to say this, but if you confront someone, you get, two things are possible. One is you give them an opportunity to repent of it. The second is, if they didn't mean it, they get an opportunity to explain it. Oh, no, I didn't mean that at all. I didn't slight you, Pastor. I didn't see you. There's so much on my mind, so much on my plate. Now I've got an altogether different feeling about that person. I thought they were snubbing me, you know, at Kroger. No, I didn't see you. I'm carrying a load. And now instead of me fighting my animosity, I'm feeling the weight of their problem. And we need to take on that spirit of, uh, which one was it, Carolyn, that wanted to play, pray right there. Let's, we're in Kroger. Let's lay hands on. Let's get the business of God done. I'd never be able to pray for someone. Think about this. Never be able to pray for someone until I've gotten that attitude change, the freedom I was talking about earlier. And that's why he says, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. If you'll take that load off, then you can concentrate on the things that need to be done in the lives of other people. First, get the beam out of your own eye, and then you can get the speck. See better to see the speck in someone else's eye. Okay, in Philippians, the second chapter, we'll continue here with this. <clears throat> Let this mind be in you, and there's the key to it. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus the Lord, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. The key to loving humility the mind of Christ God hates haughty but he loves humble did you hear it God hates haughty even if it's in the church even if it's in the pulpit even if it's in the choir even if it's in government God hates haughty we need to humble ourselves <clears throat> in the sight of God and become obedient. Uh, he became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Embarrassing. He, uh, he fought against uh, the things that came against him in, in emotion and, and in spirit. Wherefore God then hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of things in heaven and things in earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. A lot of things don't matter if you recognize Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Whew. 
Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then in closing, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power might be of God, not of us. I don't have the power to love that way. God alone has the power to love that way. I don't have the power to forgive that way. God alone has the power to forgive that way. So it is, once again, Christ in us. It's the only hope. But it is the hope of glory. <laughs> it's the hope of glory. It's the hope of glory. What is it? Romans 8. It's in that 8th chapter. It says, um, Our light afflictions are nothing to be compared with the glory <laughs> that shall be revealed. Whatever you're taking on right now, look past it to the glory of God. Because if you'll walk with him, if you'll live with him, if you'll have that mind that was in Jesus Christ, humility versus haughtiness, then the glory that shall be revealed is nothing to be compared to this present suffering, this present conflict. Look past it. And the things of this earth will go strangely dim and fall off in the light of his glory and goodness. Praise God. Let's stand. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, <laughs> I'm so glad I'm in this room, right here, right now, you sense the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to leave here with a new resolve to love like I have never loved before. As somebody said, to love like I've never been hurt. Certainly learn from our hurts should equip us to love others even better. Lord, I pray the power of your Holy Spirit would move upon us now. Not just in this place, but as we go from this place. Help us to see ourselves and our lives in a little different fashion. Equip us with the power to do something to move our relationship from a seven to a ten. According to the power of God, the grace you have given to every one of us. In Jesus' name. And all the people said,